yours is the kingdom. Yours. Oh, forever. Amen. Think about that. Forever. Like, it's not just like a little while. It's forever. It's eternal. Guys, all of us are eternal. That's exciting. Not if life keeps going on the way it is, brother. Stop it. Stop letting your life speak louder than the life he gave for you. I'm serious. We all go through stuff. We're going through stuff. Stuff happens. It's, it's terrible. Yeah. Think about that. Like, we're getting hit with the, our ministry, our lives, physically. My physical life has gotten hit harder than it's ever been hit before. I just came out of a season with congestive heart failure. And I believe in healing. I minister healing. I, I preach the gospel. I believe in healthy eating. I believe in working out. I believe in exercise. I, I haven't eaten carbs since 2015. Like, I've been like Mr. Keto. It's been my, because, because I like meat. That's why. That's because why. That's why. No, I love donuts, but then they love me back in the wrong way, and that's not good. So I'm serious. I've been going after the health thing, and yet I have got, I had this thing this congestive heart failure attack me. And at the same time, my wife had some abnormal bleeding, and so she has to go to the doctors to get checked, and they tell her that she's got tumors inside of her uterus. Now think about that. Both at the same time, hmm, I wonder if that's coincidence. I don't think so. Right? Well, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. I know that we know that scripture, but anything that fits into the category of death, loss, and destruction must be labeled from where it came from. It can't be labeled, God, why are you doing this? It can't be labeled, God, why are you allowing this? Oh, we have to be very careful because you can't trust a father that would allow that. You can't trust a father that would do that to you. And so many people have this misunderstanding about who the father really is. Who is the father? Who is he? Who is he? You know to be born again means to come forth from? Do you know your dad had nothing to do, has nothing to do with your identity right now? Yes, he was part of the process for, to give birth, but your mom didn't have anything to do with it either. Even though she carried you and delivered you, doesn't matter what she said about you, doesn't matter what she did or didn't do, doesn't matter what your dad did or didn't do, we have this misconception of who the father is. The reality of who the father is has to make sense to your heart and has to be the priority of your life. Because if I'm supposed to love God with all my heart, with all my strength, with all my mind, with all of me, basically every part of me needs to love God, I need to know that he loved me first. I can't allow anything that I've been through to overwhelm and overtake what, and overthrow what he did for me. This is so crucial. You know that song that says, from my mother's womb, you have chosen me? Do you know that it doesn't matter what your mom said about you when you were in her womb? Whether she said she wanted you, whether she said she was ready, whether she said, I wish this never happened, whether she said things like, I wish you were never born, none of that matters because all life comes from God. Oh, if we would get that. The opinion of a mother or father, as much as they 
as much as we allow that to matter, we can't allow what matters least to matter most when what matters most has to stay most. Are you with me? If this thing is about Abba, if it's about Father, Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except by him. It didn't say nobody comes to heaven except by him. Although that's true, the greater truth is if I don't know him now, I don't want to just meet him then. I don't want to meet him then at the end of my life when I finally realize all the things that I could have taken part of and didn't. I don't want to get there and stand before him on that day and not having anything to throw at his feet. Oh my gosh, guys. Talking about a self-centered, selfish, ambitious gospel that a lot of people are preaching nowadays. A lot of pastors are out there preaching a self-serving gospel. This gospel is not made to serve you. We are meant to serve him. You know, a lot of people, they think that when worship goes long, they can't wait to the word, so they wait for the word for them and then miss the worship that's for him. What good would it be to miss the worship that's for him just to get to the word that's for you? Oh, gosh. Has that hit right there? We're glorifying him. It's not about you anyway. We sing and we worship and we love God with everything that we are. Every part of us is to love him. How can I get to the place where every, I come down here, it's easier for me. So I have more running. I don't fall through the holes in the stage. (laughs) But every part of us is created to love God. How can I activate every part of me that's been hurt to love a God and be filled with hope. So this process that we go through, we think it's a lengthy process, but really, it's just a full surrender. The more times you try to revisit things that you cannot change, the more bound you are to your past, which dictates your future. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I have the most amazing father. He always thinks the best about me. He always has the best plans for me. He's never trying to browbeat me or whoop me with a stick to try to get me to shape up. He is trying to get me to be a partaker of the grace of God and understand what grace really is. You know, I heard somebody jump on, jump on their wife. They snapped at their wife and, and they knew it was wrong and he said, thank God for the grace of God. <laughs> That's not the grace of God. The grace of God doesn't enable you to snap on your wife. The grace of God prevents you from doing it. Grace is the etching tool of God. He is, it's the molding tool of God, the etching tool of God, the power of God that enables me to walk out what the Bible calls me to. But if you never read the Bible, you never have a chance to find out what you're called to. So you just think that you're called to your feelings and called to the way that seems right to a man. It's destruction. We can't afford to live the way that seems right, the way that feeleth right. Oh my gosh, man. Satan is the manipulator of ducks and people think that they have to have their ducks in a row to serve God. And that ever, I'm sure, all, all these things enter into the equation. But the one thing that's necessary is full surrender, absolute surrender. None of you held back. Because the part that's held back, that you hold back, is a target for the enemy to increase that part 
in a greater measure. People say, well, I'm 90% in, I'm 10% out. Well, your 10% quickly becomes 20, and 20 quickly becomes 40, and 40 becomes 80, till all of a sudden you're 20% in and 80% out, and you don't know what happened. Because we allowed that line to get muddy. That one that we said we'd never step past. <laughs> that one line, well, I'm never going past here. Then you, you know what? It's not that bad. I'm okay. It's like Eve. Well, I ate the fruit. You can too. Here. Look, I'm still alive. And now I know. Ugh. Satan's always trying to get us to do something, to become something that we already are through creative design. Guys, this isn't complicated. If it was, I wouldn't be preaching. I promise. I'm a simple guy. I love Jesus, period. I'm sold out. I'm in love with him. I love him. I love him. I love him. You know, sometimes people can read 25 different chapters in the Bible. I'm like hung up on one. Oh, my God, help me, Lord. Please put this in me. Make me become what this says. You're not supposed to read your Bible to teach anyway. You're supposed to read your Bible to become what it says. The Lord told me, don't ever study to preach. Ever. I want you to open that word so that you can become what it says. Because Jesus was the word that came and dwelt among us. He was the word made manifest. God wants our flesh to become the very word that we say we know. But if we never get in it, and it never gets in you, you give the Holy Ghost nothing to work with. The Holy Spirit wants to breathe upon the word. It's alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide and separate your soul from your spirit. Man, we got three parts. We got the soul, we got the spirit, we got the flesh. Your flesh should never have dominion. That's why I'm in the beginning of a, well, I'm, I'm past the halfway point. I'm in 27 days into a water fast because my flesh is not gonna dominate me, buddy. I'm going to kill it with every chance that I get. People are like, I'm good. Fast for a couple days. See how you are. <laughs> oh, I'm not kidding. Like, well, sounds like legalism. Now it sounds like you need crucified is what it sounds like. <laughs> oh, I'm serious. Take away your food for a day and see how you flow. Well, I'm just walking in love, brother. I'm walking in love. Lunchtime comes. I'm walking in love, bro. I'm walking in love. <laughs> Dinner time comes. Don't, just don't talk to me. I'm going to go in the back. I'm serious. Look, I'm, I'm like any other person. I've had to do this my whole life in Christ. I've had to fast and had to pray. It doesn't say you have to. I, I should rephrase that because it's not a mandate. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to get free from you. Because I promise you're the issue. Oh, I promise, man. You know what pride hates to be called? Pride. If you've got a problem with this guy and this guy and this guy, it's not them, it's you. Oh, I promise it's you. It's you. You can suck that up and eat that right there. Well, what do you mean it's me? There you go. That's, uh, we might be on to something right there, right? But fasting enables you to move out of the way so God can have his way. It really does. People are like, I did not come here to hear about fasting. Well, neither did I, but I'm in the middle of it. It's pretty crazy. You think you're going to die, but you don't. You just keep on waking up, and you're alive. <laughs> Serious. My days, at the end of the day, I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, 
tired. Why? This body takes fuel to run. And now I'm feeding on God. Just see how far I can take it. How far can you really go? It's not like, a, like I want to fast for 70 days. But if he calls me to it, if I came back here, I'll be half the man that I am right now, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh. Hunger has left, but the hunger for him is at a level that I've never been right now. The hunger to get the simple message of truth and the reality of God's love to a bride that is flailing, to a bride that's been running, to a bride that is weary, to a bride that has been bound by the systems of this world, to a bride that's starting to change her wedding clothes. The Lord says that he's he's returning for a blameless and spotless bride. But the spirit of fear has come in to the church and has got her to to hide in a corner, got her to social distance. (laughs) This is so weird. Oh, my gosh. You know, I get on the airplane, I wear the mask. Do you know that your voice travels more than your mask? It does. You can. Do you know that? They share your faith. Do you know you can share your faith with a mask on? Even with the mask on, you can share the gospel. In social distancing, I'm pretty sure your voice carries more than six feet. You know that you could share and still works, goes through the air, that, that thing that we're trying to keep the space. You can have the truth of God come out of your lips and actually pierce the air and penetrate the victim. Or the victor in front of you. This thing has tried to silence us as the church. And then anybody that speaks out is some radical. That's me, buddy. I want to be as radical as I possibly can. But here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to be a radical guy that speaks the truth outside of love. Because I care for the people that can't stand me. I love the people that hate me. And I bless the people that persecute me. It's the hardest thing because like we don't like it when people talk bad about us. We don't like it when people do bad things to us. But if my king can hang on a tree bleeding and full of muck and didn't look anything like Jesus on that tree, if he could say, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing, then what gives me the right to hold on to a fence? Guys, I just want to tell you this. If you're trying to forgive, you're in unforgiveness. If you're trying to forgive, you are in unforgiveness, period. Okay, I'm gonna come down. It was better when I was down there. I feel like I was closer to you. If you're in the process of trying to forgive somebody, you're living in active unforgiveness. And that is not okay. Because what it's doing is you're drinking poison hoping they die. They're not dying, but it's killing you. It limits your faith, it limits your grasp on God, it limits God's love for you, it limits you knowing how God loves you. Do you know when I say to you that God loves you, people say, amen. But when I say, do you know that you're being actively loved by God, people say, huh? (laughs) What is intimacy? He is into me, see? 
What is intimacy? He is into me, you see? To where I can represent my relationship with him everywhere I go. And if you're happy and you know it, use your mouth. If you're happy and you know it, use your mouth. Come on, if you're happy and you know it, then your face will surely show it. It's not okay to come to church and be like, or stand in line at the grocery store, stand in line somewhere where it's too long and they should have more people up there. Stand in line and be like, sheesh. Be like, where's your Christian at? He's in there somewhere. <laughs> I'm, just be effect- I'm just being affected by my surroundings instead of infecting my surroundings. This gospel is meant for you to shine as a beacon of light no matter what you're going through, no matter where you are, no matter who you're talking to. It doesn't matter how strong they are, how tough they are, how mean they are, how much of an atheist they are, how lost they are. You are found, you are not blind, you see, and you are not dead, you're alive, and you serve a living king. You serve a living king that wants to use you for his glory. Why are we so concerned about what people think? People are going to hell. People are thinking like hell. I can't can't afford to be a Christian that is a believer in my heart but a non-believer in my mind. It's called practical atheism. I talked about it a little bit last time. I have to be the man that is possessed by God, that first commandment. Love God with all my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength. That means every part of me is responsible to love him well. And if I'm loving him with my mind, that means that I love what God thinks about me, what God says about me. I love and want to reciprocate and say the same to him, if not more, if possible. Be hard, because God has more thoughts than outnumber the grain of sand in the world. Every thought's for my welfare. Be hard for me to think that many thoughts about him, but I'm trying. I'm trying. The more I get possessed with the truth of what he did for me, of the price he paid for me, of the value that I have before him, the more my life will change. Man, Jesus didn't die because you were this horrible sinner. Most people preach, most churches preach. I'm not saying this one, I'm saying most. Preach, people say, are you saved? Which means yes, you're going to heaven. You got your ticket to go to heaven. You got your ticket to go to heaven. That is not what saved means. Jesus didn't die because we were such horrible sinners. Jesus died. Sin, Jesus, we sinned so Jesus had to die. But sin was like when you're bowling, you've got these arrows in the lane. When a bowler bowls, they aim for the arrows, they don't aim for the pins. Unless you're me and you don't care, you just throw it. (laughs) But a professional bowler aims for the arrow because they know where their curve's going to start, they know where the ball's going to swing, and they aim for the arrow because that's the initial target. See, the initial target of the cross is sin. But you're the pins at the end of the lane, buddy. So you don't understand. See, Jesus died for way more of a price than just to get you to heaven. Because if it was just about getting you to heaven when you prayed a prayer, you'd have disappeared. You'd have been like, boom. Oh, my God. Not another one. No, Jesus didn't pay a price to get you there. Paid a price to get you free so you could be like him here. The whole Bible teaches about the price that he paid 
to transform your life here. It's not just about getting there. Yes, that's going to be amazing. And one day we're going to be with him in eternal glory. And it's going to be special. It's going to be wonderful. There's nothing like it on the planet. But Jesus, the price that Jesus paid, when Jesus came out of the gate, he said, repent for the kingdom is at hand. What is that? Repent, change the way you think. I brought my world with me, and you've got to change the way you see things. Because if you don't change the way you think, you'll think that what you're living in is superior to the reality that I brought with me. And it's within your reach. It's at hand. But you've got to change your way you're thinking. That's what he said. Out of the gate, man, as soon as he gets baptized in the Holy Ghost, he comes out and says, repent. Change the way you think. Do an about face. Think from heaven's perspective. The penthouse, the top floor, heaven's perspective. Think like that towards here. Don't think like this towards there. Like this towards there is I hope I make it in. Like there towards here is he's already got in. Now I'm going to get possessed with the total package. Find out who God created me to be because when I see who he's made me to be, I will see who he's made you to be. Now I can love you because I love me. Oh, man, you can't love people unless you love yourself. People are like, well, that's arrogance. No, that's the Bible. How do I, how do I love myself first? It's like an airplane that when they say there's an oxygen problem, they drop the masks down. What do they say? They say, do not put it on your kid first, but make sure you put it on yourself. Why? Because if you don't take care of this, this isn't going to happen. So with Jesus... Denying yourself is actually seeking that first, your intimacy, your relationship with him, because the more you seek him, the more you'll be like him. Then you can love who God created you to be. <sighs> love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all my heart, my soul, my strength, my mind. Love my neighbor as myself. I remember when people came, kept telling me, the reason why you love, because you came out of 22 years of addiction, and you came out, I'll get back to the doctor stuff, we'll get it, I won't forget, don't worry. Some of you are like, what about the doctor, what about his heart? We'll get there. <laughs> Sorry. When I got saved, everybody kept telling me the reason why I love so much, because of how much I've been forgiven. And you were such a sinner, dude, that's why you love so much. And they were using Luke 7, and the lady busted into the house, and she anointed Jesus' feet, this alabaster jar, Simon the Pharisee is there. And he's reasoning in his heart. I love that Jesus heard them reasoning, which gives me the same ability through the Holy Ghost to know what you're thinking. I just don't know if we could handle that. I'm not kidding. I can hear people thinking. There are people thinking right now, when is this guy done? You can leave now. I'm good. I'm going to survive. But that doesn't affect, that's not going to affect me. It'll cause my heart to cry out for you to get electrocuted by the Holy Ghost. That he would shock you. That he would Holy Ghost defibrillator you. Boom! Ah! And you realize why you're alive, man. Come on, Jesus. Oh, he's so good. Why doesn't that guy cut his hair? Ooh. When you get to heaven and see Jesus with dreads, you're all going to be bummed out. I know John the Baptist had dreads. Did you see the Bible series? Did you see it? He had dreadlocks. Did you see that? Just kidding. 
But he was a Nazarite. He was eating locusts and honey, and I'm pretty sure it didn't say he carried a comb. <laughs> I actually am a Nazarite. I am, I've sold out to this thing, buddy. I've sold out. I ain't playing. I'm going after him with all the fire that I can. And he's the one that's enabling me, because I promise I do not have it right now to give out. But he is filling me. I'm sitting out there in tears because like, I'm like, Lord, I, wow, this is so good. It's full dependency, fully dependent on God. If he don't show up, we're all done. I, I'm serious. I, I was somewhere, somewhere, I was here, I was somewhere. Someone said, the spirit's moving. I said, well, if he doesn't move, we're in trouble. Right? We got to be dependent upon him. He's got to move, dude. He's got to do it. So I'm, I'm just saved. I'm only a few months old, and I'm just burning. I'm on fire. I'm asking the church, like, hey, I want to do one of these home groups. Well, I, I went to the church for five months. It was a Rama church, very uh, amazing church. But I went to Teen Challenge five and a half months after I incorporated Jesus in and lived like hell and lied and tried to steal from everybody, get money to pay for my drugs and all that stuff. And the people knew my game. They knew it. And I was with my girlfriend, and I was tormented and... Man, I was just twisting everything. Coming to church, hallelujah, singing really loud. People were like, who's that guy? And I was like, yeah, that's me. That was pride, all that stuff. But I'm living addicted to drugs. Five and a half months later, I get shot at. Everybody knows I like should be dead. I go to Team Challenge. Everybody's, thank God he's going away. He's going to get help, but thank God he's going away. Like it was real. Because I was bad. I was manipulator, maneuverer, Mr. Con artist. I was the best. I really was. And I, and I didn't see who had me in a chain leading me around as a slave. I didn't see it. I didn't know. I thought it was normal because there's the way that seems right to a man. And I went to Teen Challenge and I get out. Like two months later, I had three nights where I have radical encounters. Teen Challenge is a year. It's a year. I committed to go for a year. I lost my girl. I lost my daughter. Went for this year. I'm there two months in. I have these radical encounters with Jesus. The Bible becomes the first book that I can read in my whole life at 34. And I'm eating the word every day. And then finally I have three dreams where I meet Jesus. Tells me to go home. So I leave this place early. And when I got home, I didn't get the most warmest welcome. Amen. Praise God you're home. Everybody was like, you know, you left because of your flesh. And I'm like, I don't know what you mean, but I encountered Jesus and everything's going to change. And they're like, Everything's going to change. You're just going to move back in with your girlfriend. I said, oh, no, I, we can't, because I went to the church when I came home from Teen Challenge, and I went to the church. They were having church work day, and this isn't like to, for anybody to lick their church wounds. This is so you can be healed from them, because it's really not about what they did to you. It's about what you're not seeing. Oh, I can say it again. It's really not about the mean things that leadership and other churches have done to you. It's the very fact that you didn't know who you were when it came. See, people love to justify their hurt and their stance on why they don't want to be a part of something because they hurt me and they did this. Well, they shouldn't have hurt you, and it's true. But you should have known better than to get hurt by something that they shouldn't have done. So neither of that suffices. So you don't have any excuses for remaining hurt. Well, that leader was mean. Well, they treated me bad. Well, they didn't give me the promotion I was seeking. Well, maybe you shouldn't have got a promotion that you were seeking. Because maybe you were seeking promotion instead of the Lord. 
So these guys are really upset when I get home. They don't want anything to do with me. I promise you. And I get there. And I want to help. It's church work day. And the guy that put me in Teen Challenge is there. And like he's an elder. And I'm so excited because I got to tell him, hey, man, like Jesus is real. And thank you for helping me. So I go up to tell him. He goes, Todd, what are you doing? I said, man, I met Jesus. And he goes, Todd, stop it. You committed to going for 12 months. I said, I did. I said, but God is so amazing, man. And he sh- Todd, 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 listen, we have work to do. I go, I know, I want to help you. We don't need your help. It's okay. Just go home to your girlfriend, because that's why you really came home. Now, you could let that really hurt you. And what? Are you serious? You would really think that about me? Oh, the liar, the manipulator, the maneuverer. You really would think that about me? He doesn't know that old things have passed away. He doesn't know that all things have become new. He doesn't know that the revelation of Jesus is real in my life. And I said, well, I guess in time you'll see, sir. And I walked away and I went out front and I grabbed a broom because they're doing church work day. You think they don't deserve my help. No, but I ain't working for them. I'm working for Jesus. Because the revelation of whatever I do in word or deed is unto the Lord and not for people has already hit my heart and no one can take it away from me. See, you're looking at a guy that never worked before, that never, ever had a job. You be healed. You be healed in Jesus' name. You be healed. You be made whole of everything. Father, thank you in Jesus' name for complete recovery. Jesus, thank you. You'll be healed. You'll be healed. They don't know where I'm at. I know where I'm at. But if I manifest the devil, they surely will think they know where I'm at. Come on, man. When you squeeze an orange, what do you get? Okay, what kind of juice? It's not, a compl- it's not like complicated, right? Holy mackerel. When you squeeze an apple, what kind of juice do you get? Is it, is it a question? But if I squeezed an orange into a cup and you drank it and it was apple juice, what would you think? That is whacked out. <laughs> You'd spit it out. That's the strangest orange ever. Why isn't it equally as strange that when a Christian gets squeezed, everything but Jesus comes out? The devil should take a risk every time he squeezes you. He should be afraid to squeeze you. What if he was afraid to squeeze you because Jesus came out every orifice? We fear trials instead of fearing God. We need to fear the Lord, man. It's the beginning of wisdom. We need to burn with a fire that this world cannot put out. And when someone squeezes us, they get Jesus all over them. The devil takes a risk every time he touches you. Because if he touches you and you know who you are, he's in trouble. But he doesn't find many Christians that he touches and they know who they are. Because we're so afraid of being touched because we're so touchy. Oh, that'll preach, buddy. You know why? Because we don't have to be that one. 
We can be on fire for the king. We can love him with everything we are. And when we're touched wrong, we know who it is. And we spot it. We don't blame. We don't blame shift. We don't blame this and say, well, if this didn't happen and that didn't happen, then maybe I, maybe. When you stand before the Lord, none of those excuses are going to be valid. You're not going to stand before him and say, well, it was the woman you gave me. Maybe if she loved you more, maybe I could have been a better Christian. Tough. That is not going to stand, man. You are responsible for your own faith, for your own zeal, for your own fire. You have to weed your garden. You have to get into the truth of what the Lord says and find out what he says about you. Who cares what people are saying about you? Man, who cares about that? So I'm burning, and I'm just this young buck in the Lord, and I'm, woo, 34 years old, but man, I just woke up. And I am really possessed by Jesus, man. And I'm learning to love him, and I'm learning to make sure I seek him early in the morning. I spend time with him. I spend time praying. I spend time in the word. I ask him, take this word and put it in me. Take this word. Man, that word doesn't get in you by just sitting on your mantle, sitting on your sofa sitting on the lampstand so other people can see you have a bible and they come in your house that doesn't matter you can have five thousand bibles but if you never open it up and ask god to breathe on this thing and make it alive to you nothing changes you have the ability to bankrupt hell man you have the ability to destroy the enemy the mission statement of a christian is first john 3 8 to destroy the works of the devil but if you never realize the ammunition that you have you'll never take fire you'll never come on man now it's getting silent now we're getting somewhere i love him i love him i love him i love him so i so I went down, I grabbed the broom out front. It's the most powerful thing. Grabbed the broom and I went and I swept down the sidewalk. I remember just sweeping gravel and some trash and stuff and no one was watching me because it wasn't about anybody watching me because right. my father saw me. <laughs> You're talking to a guy that never worked before. I never got a job. I never, I, when I got jobs, I quit or got fired. I'd get high on the way to take a pee test. <laughs> Girl, I did not care about anything but myself. I, I really was lost. I mean, I was really lost, buddy. Really lost. It's amazing that most people can't admit that they were really lost. Most people are like, well, you know, you were really lost, but I was lost, but you were really lost. No, you don't understand. You were dead in your sin. You were born in iniquity. <laughs> you were cultivated by the very enemy of God. All of you. Well, I've been a good person. I don't care. You're still cultivated by the demonic realm, by the God of this world, the one that maneuvers, manipulates, and tries to get everybody to think like him, respond like him, act like him, manipulate like him, lie like him. He tries. He tries. And the only way that's rooted out is when you not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove God's will. Prove. You are required to prove his will. Imagine that. You've got the responsibility to prove the will of God. People are scared to think they could know the will of God, let alone prove the will of God. It says, do not be unwise, but know the will of the Lord. Don't be unwise. Know the will of the Lord. 
In other words, all of us are required to know his will in every situation at all times in everything that we encounter. That's some major responsibility. And people like to push off that responsibility to pastors, leaders, teachers. Well, teach us the will of God. Oh, you are required. If you're a Christian, if you say yes to Jesus, if you came into the army, you've got a captain of your salvation. His name is Jesus. And he wants to teach you and train you and arm you. Because no soldier, no soldier that's been enlisted in 2 Timothy entangles himself in the affairs of this world so he can please the one that enlisted him. Man, you guys are soldiers. Some of you just aren't using your weapons. Some of you got really deep foxholes. It's time to come out. I'm serious, man. Jesus is our shield and our buckler. Oh my gosh, man, come on. He is such a good dad. He's a good father. (laughs) You know, I shared this before. I think I shared it here. The day that I was born, mom and dad come together. And there's hundreds of millions of chances of me going up a birth canal. Hundreds of millions. And I'm the last one at the very end coming up the birth canal. I'm slower than everybody else. Everybody else is quicker than me. They've all got tools. They've got saws. They've got jackhammers. They've got sledgehammers. And their whole mission is to get inside that egg. But I'm last. So everybody gets there before me. And there's a smoke screen up there when I get there. And there's an army trying to get in. But when I get there, they part like the Red Sea. And I go right in. Don't have a tool. Don't have anything. Just have destiny. I'm inside and everybody's complaining. Then I don't know where they go. But I have to say something. So I say what only God can help me say. Sorry, guys. I was predestined before the foundation of the world. But so many people allow their mom and how she was thinking and their dad and how they weren't married or however it happened to determine your identity for life. And there are people that like to keep you codependent upon them to get through life to take you back into that life. Instead of just believing the gospel that I was lost, man. And for 34 years, I went around blind and hurt a lot of people. But then Jesus came and rescued me. And when I was a sinner, he died for me. When I was yet a sinner, God loved me. And God so loved the world that he sent his son. That whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but have eternal life. But eternal life doesn't start when you get to heaven. Eternal life starts the day that you say yes to him. And so I believed that stuff. When I was a teen challenge, these guys didn't know it. But what I saw when I was up there was I went into the scripture and I asked God, you know, I, I, I found out that in James it says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. First scripture that ever opened up in my life. And I went, oh my God, I'm wisdomless. And, and I celebrated the fact that I had no clue. Oh, it was the first time I really knew that it was God speaking to me. Aside from him speaking to me when I got shot at. As he said, I took those bullets for you. Are you ready to live for me yet? At the end of a nine millimeter from 10 feet away. In the middle of the night with a drug dealer from New York City. And I didn't know that was God, but I knew that the bullets didn't hit me and it was real. Now I'm hearing his voice. And I I kept being so upset about my guilt. 
and all the stuff that I was going through. The shame, the guilt, the condemnation. I created such havoc, and, and now I know it's real. Now I know he's real, but how do I deal with this? I, that's the question, guys. How do I process this? How do I process all this guilt and shame and condemnation that I'm dealing with, wishing that I could go back and change the things that I can't? And so I'm trying to like, what do I do? How do I silence this? And I'm, I'm, I'm reading in, my, in the prayer room, and this is in Teen Challenge, this is the first two months. And I get in there, and I'm like, God, I, I hate this. I hate this thought. I hate the thought of all the stuff I've done. I saw the threatening my girlfriend for seven and a half years, telling her I'm going to kill her. And then telling her I'll kill whoever she's with if she leaves me. Adamantly, I listen, my daughter listened to me say that for years. All this stuff, besides all the other people I've hurt, and the people that have died and drug, drug deals gone wrong, all the stuff, man, that happens in that world. It's a horrible world, and you wish you could get free from it. You know, there's a reason why all the liars, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, and the sinners followed Jesus. Because they knew that there was something inside of that man that did something in them that they needed. Amen. And the religious people hated them because they thought they had all that they needed already. Woo! And love itself was talking to them and they resisted love because they thought that religion was where it was at. Oh my gosh, dude. You've got this woman that comes into the house and in Luke 7, she busts in and she's anointing Jesus' feet with oil, her tears, and her hair. Do you know that two people left that house smelling the same that day? But Simon the Pharisee is reasoning, saying if this man were really who he, he says he is, he would never let this woman touch him, for she is a sinner like Simon wasn't. Oh my gosh. And Jesus, I love it, like he hears the question in his head and he asks them a question. He doesn't answer their questions ever. He doesn't. He just asks them a question. They ask him a question, he asks them a question, and they feel really dumb for the question they just asked. Because they're trying to trap God. Oh my gosh, that's a hard one. Buddy, you spend all day, all night, for the rest of your life forever trying to trap God and never do it. Because he's light, you can't trap light. You can't trap love. So Jesus says, suppose you have one that owes the master a million. Because he can understand dollars. Because if you're forgiven more dollars, that means a bigger deal. You have one that's owed, that owes 50, one that owes a million. The master knew neither could repay. Which one would be more loved? Well, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. You've chosen right. And this woman who is a sinner whose sins are many. Because she's forgiven much, she will love much. For he who's forgiven much loves much. He who's forgiven little loves little. When you look at life and look at the deficit of love in the body of Christ, and the reality of it is, is that they don't believe how much they've truly been forgiven. Oh my gosh. If you've ever revisit your past, you don't believe you're forgiven. This is the hamster wheel, man. It's that wheel that's constantly rolling. 
And you don't believe you're forgiven, so you keep revisiting something you can never change. And the devil gets you looking in hindsight when you lean to look forward and look up, and there's your help. <sighs> He's constantly trying to look, up, look in a rearview mirror. Look in the rearview mirror. See what's behind you. Don't look behind. Just go. If you look in Scripture about the, the armor of God, he's behind you. You don't have any armor on your back because that's where he is. Oh, my gosh, man. So when I'm up there at Teen Challenge, I said, Lord, I, I hate this. He said, that's because you're always guilty. I said, you're right. And it all came from the day before they were talking about trials. Consider it joy when you face trials. And I stood up in class. I said, y'all are crazy. I hate being in front of the judge, bro. I hate it. I hate being in an orange jumpsuit. I hate it. So I don't know where you guys are thinking, what you're thinking. This is not good. It is not a joy to be in front of a judge. And that's what I'm thinking. So I opened my Bible to prove those guys were stupid. Bro, I'm serious. Now this is, this is after the Lord gave me wisdom. <laughs> right? So I'm like, I hate trials. This is not okay. It's because you're always guilty. Well, yeah, I'm always guilty. I hate it. He said, what if I say you're not guilty? I said, but I am guilty. You do the crime. You do the time. I heard it my whole life. You reap what you sow. And the Lord said, what if I say you're not guilty? And what if I say you reap what Jesus sowed? And I went, watch, that, that can't, that's not possible because I hurt all these people. I did it. I hurt my daughter. I hurt my girl. I hurt everything. I probably would never see my girlfriend again. She'll never want to see me. I ripped her off. I did everything. I say, you're not guilty. Lord, I need help right now. And here he was helping me. It was just too good to be true. No, he's so good because he is true. So all of a sudden, I come downstairs from this thing at Teen Challenge, and I'm like, guys, I'm not going to believe this. This is amazing. I'm forgiven. And they're like, well, duh. I'm like, no, you don't get it. It's not just forgiven. Like, God said he forgot it. And then I'm reading in Scripture where my sins and my lawless deeds, he will remember no more. Why? For me? No, he does it for his namesake. Oh my gosh. <laughs> he does it for his namesake. He didn't do it for me. He did it for his namesake so I could represent his name now. It's not just about getting to heaven. It's about heaven repossessing that which was lost. Then that which was lost can be found. I'm the gold coin man. I'm the pearl. <laughs> do you get it? And when God finds you, he doesn't just go, all right, carry on. No, he finds you, he cleans you out. It's like Jesus, I said it in the last service, how he came into the temple, because we're a temple for the Holy Ghost, you know that. When he came into the temple, he saw things that were happening that shouldn't be happening, and he went through with a three-strand cord, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And he tore up the inside of that temple, and he flipped the tables over. And he said, you've made my father's house a marketplace. My father's house is a house of prayer. And so what he does is cleans out the inside. It's like when you first get saved. It's that, oh my gosh, this is so beautiful. What is happening right now? This is too good. This is too amazing. 
Then you come out of your bedroom and life hits you. But then you read the Bible and you're like, oh my gosh, Lord, this is amazing. Then life hits you. You come out and people are like, bah! like oh God. And then you finally start to hear cuss words for real. I don't know if you remember that or not. But I got saved, I was so bad. Cussed everybody, swore. I mean, I was effing, 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 effing. I was me. It didn't matter. And when I got saved, I'm like, oh my gosh, I hear it. I did that, but it was gone. I didn't have to try to get it out. Like the grace of God empowered the truth of let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth and nailed it. And all of a sudden, it was cut off from me. It wasn't there. I didn't have to even try to curb it. <laughs> it was so good. Just amazing. But he revealed to me that he didn't just forgive it, but he forgot it, and he would never bring it up again. The blood of Jesus doesn't cleanse you from some sin. He cleanses you from all. And if we make a mistake, if we make a, a mistake, he says that he is faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, which means the only thing that's left is righteousness. So when I stand before him, I could be right with him because righteousness is what the whole gospel hinges on. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin so that you and I can become the righteousness of God that's in Christ Jesus. We became something, but what if you never realize what you've became? What you, be, what you became, but what you've become. Because when you got saved, you became it. But there is the becoming of it every day. There's the waking up into it and you choosing to live in the truth that sets you free or live in the past that will pull you out. Regret produces death, but godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. I wish I never did that stuff. I wish that stuff was never done to me. But that doesn't determine who I am. He determines who I am. So here I am burning with that. Dad, a teen challenge. And I'm like, man, guys, like, I don't have any sin in my closet. Like, I don't have any closets. And people are like, whoa, dude, you need to chill. Listen, you need to settle down. Listen, we don't want you to be that seed that falls upon the rock. And then the, the and I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Because I didn't read that. I have no clue. That seed that doesn't have any root system. And then the sun comes out and the trials and stuff. They're trying to teach me. I'm like, I'm past that, dude. I don't even understand what you mean. Like, like I love trials now. Because I'm not guilty. And they're like, no, you don't understand. Well, listen, you're taking things out of context. Okay. Am I forgiven? Yes, but you can't take that literally. Eh. I'm sorry. I'm forgiven. Why? Because most people don't believe they're forgiven. That's why. Most people don't believe they can be free. When, when you say, how are you doing? And you say, oh, I'm doing so good. Like, no, 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 how are you really doing? Why? Because the person that's asking you has never been free. <laughs> Ooh, the shoe fits kicking off, man. Don't get mad. I see people fired up. <clears throat> it's the truth that sets us free. My Bible says that it's the truth. Then they will know the truth, and the truth will set them free. What would it be like for you to never look back again? What would it look like for you to never be tormented by yesterday? What would it be like for you to wake up free from yesterday? That doesn't mean that what happened is real, isn't real, 
What happened was real. But the day that you ask God, look, it's like this in my life. I make a mistake. I know that it's a mistake. I say, Father, I don't even say I'm sorry. In the midst of the mistake, the Holy Spirit will catch me in mid-mistake. It's not something I adamantly go in on purpose, but if I trip, in the midst of the trip, he convicts me. This is called the Christian life. It's called fine-tuning. In the midst of the trip, of the mistake, he catches me right there. Todd, this is wrong. Whoa, I have the choice to continue in the mistake or the choice to back up and turn. The choice is up to you. And the love of God, the love of the Father, is what enables your choice to be quicker. It's the reality of God's love for you and you receiving that love. You know, in, it talks about it in Romans. It says that I'm persuaded that neither angels nor principles, I know we all know it, it's the best chapter ever. Angels nor principalities nor powers nor life nor death nor things, nor things to come nor things present nor things present nor things to come. Notice your past didn't make the list. Angels, powers, principality, life, death, things present, things to come, because Jesus already dealt with your past. So your past has the utter ability to separate you from receiving the love of God. Not because it's not coming, but because you're turned the wrong way when it does. Oh my gosh. This is like almost like an abstract word. It seems like such a simple word that, well, we already got that. Let's move on. No, we can't move on until we all get free. The elementary principles. Talks about it in Hebrews 6. He says the laying on of hands, the baptisms. Talks about the cleansing of our conscience from dead works. The conscience. Gosh, this is such a long I'll try to do it. Okay. My conscience was riddled with all kinds of bad stuff because I lived a horrible life and I did horrible things. So I've got this. Have you ever heard anybody say you got a guilty conscience? You walk into a room, you think people are staring at you. It's a guilty conscience. It, it prob- it, and if they are staring with you, just make sure the light that's in you is shining brighter back at them. But it's a guilty conscience. I had it my whole life. I thought people were talking about me, thought people were following me. As I was literally running, and I was walking on eggshells, waiting for my sin to find me out. Didn't know it was sin, just thought it was the way that seems right, but I was always hiding. So when I got saved, what happened is righteousness hit my soul, the reality of being right with God, knowing that I had access to the Father, knowing that the blood of Jesus cleansed me from all unrighteousness, knowing that there was nothing in me that God detested, knowing that he loved me. And that he would love me every day of my life and for eternity. And that love would never get turned off. What happened was in Hebrews, it talks about it. In Hebrews 9 and 10, it talks about the blood. It talks about the blood of Jesus. It said the blood of animals. They offered the blood of animals and it was able to cleanse people outwardly. But the blood of animals could never cleanse people inwardly. The conscience was still violated. But when Jesus came with a much better sacrifice... How much more shall the blood of Jesus cleanse my conscience from dead works in order to serve God? How much more shall the blood of Jesus cleanse the inside of me 
You know, Jesus said, you guys clean the outside of the cup, but clean the inside of the cup. So what happens is when the blood of Jesus came, he cleansed my insides. <laughs> he washed my brain. He washed my mind. He washed my guilt. He washed my shame. He washed my condemnation. And he took away every dead work. I have a clean conscience, and I can serve God wholeheartedly with a clean conscience without having any violation of conscience. Oh, it's the only way to live. It's the only way to love God. Because without a clean conscience, you can't love God. Because when you're guilty, when you're ashamed, when you're condemned, there's no way for you to approach the Father. Guilt, shame, and condemnation takes you outside of intimacy and never lets you enter in because you don't think you're worthy to. The value system of heaven is different. The price that he paid for you determines your value. How high of a price did he pay? That's like saying Jesus is cheap. No, I'm pretty sure God sacrificed it all. Heaven went bankrupt to get you back. The price was paid for you. And when Jesus was headed to be that price for you, he saw the joy set before him, so he pursued the cross. The cross did not pursue him. He pursued it because he knew that you were on the other side. And he said, when my people get this, they're going to be able to live the life that I modeled for them when I was here. Oh, my gosh, guys. This is the big secret the devil never wants you to know. He doesn't want you to know that you can be Christ-like. It almost seems like blasphemy today in the church to be like Jesus. Well, that was Jesus. No, he was holy. All right. Why did Peter, who was very, very lost, was the one that denied Jesus. Don't say you can relate to Peter. Please, this wouldn't be the time to do that. It wouldn't be. Because Peter said the things and did the things that he did when he was not born again. The disciples were not saved. They were walking with Jesus, but they could not be saved until Jesus was crucified and resurrected. They could not have salvation and be saved until Jesus was crucified and resurrected. Are you with me? They did not have the Holy Spirit in them until Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. But that was after Jesus was crucified and resurrected and scared them when he walked into the room. So you've got Peter that a lot of people say they can relate to, but my question is, which one do you relate to? The one before he was saved or after? Because if you're relating to the one before, you just need born again. Not many people, they're like, uh... Well, I still relate to Peter. But you can because you're living in and amongst the lust and the flesh. And you're living underneath the pride of life. And you're living underneath the way that seems right to a man. You know when Peter denied Jesus, or when, when Jesus denied Peter, Peter thought that he was doing the right thing. He thought that if he restrained the Lord, this will never happen to you. He's trying to protect him. But Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. For your mind is full of the things of man and not the things of God. You don't understand and you're trying to think like a mere man so that you can hold on to what I've been. But if you don't understand yet, you're going to. Because I'm going to be taken from you. And when I'm taken, the presence of me that hangs with you is going to be far exceeded by the presence of me that's going to come dwell in you to make you just like me. That's the purpose of the Holy Ghost. But Peter didn't know that. 
So relating to a Peter that made those mistakes is relating to an unregenerate mind. Ooh, that's good. Because when you look at the new Peter, the new, the new Peter, the born-again Peter, and first Peter and second Peter, now if you want to relate to that one, go after that one right there. Read that and say, I relate to Peter. Read that and be like, oh my gosh, maybe not yet. He says, be holy as he is holy. Be holy. How can I be holy? What does saint mean? Holy and set apart. You got saved, you were a sinner. You got saved, and God says you're a saint. So now that you're a saint, what does saint mean? Holy, set apart for the master's works. It says, let them see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. But the first good work is for this thing to get free. So that when a thought comes from the enemy, see, we've been trained to, can I get you to play keys for me, please? Oh my gosh, there's something that happens when he gets on the keys, man. Gosh, I just go. It's just beautiful, I love it. We've been taught to rebuke the devil, but the Bible doesn't teach you to rebuke him. It doesn't. And when Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, he wasn't rebuking the devil. He was rebuking the way that seems right to a man that's in man from the dominating demonic. Because the demonic wants to hit here to make you think that the way that seems right to a man is the way to go. But it leads to destruction. It is not the way to go. The way that we resist the devil is by submitting to God. It says, therefore, resist the devil in James Submit to God. Well, how do I submit to God? I just give him everything and say, God, here I am. I'm yours. And in that, it's the one-step program the devil's resisted. It's not two steps. It's not submit to God and then fight the devil. Don't fight the devil. You don't fight the devil. You fight the fight of faith. You fight the fight of faith. You hold fast the confession of your faith without wavering. You endure hardship as a good soldier. You let the truth of God's word saturate your mind with a helmet of salvation holding it fast. You never, ever, ever go anywhere without a breastplate of righteousness which protects you and keeps your heart guarded right with heaven. You have the word of God in your hand, never meant to be put away without, without blood on your sword. Alive, sharp, and active separates your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions from your spirit. The way that seems right to a man. That's the first thing that the Word of God cuts through. Separates the joint from the marrow. The joint and the marrow don't even touch, so the Word of God goes cellular through your whole being. And it judges the thoughts and intents that are in your heart. So if there's something that's not going right, you put the truth in. You find out what the truth is about the thing you're dealing with. And that truth will come and sword you inside and cut away the darkness and the lies and leave a bright and shining light inside of you to where that stuff has no more access to your soul. It's called feeding on the right stuff to help you grow as a Christian. You can be a Christian for 40 years and still be just as much of a baby as you were when you got saved. The Bible says, desire the pure milk of the word. It's hard to get people to desire that milk. They'd rather have somebody else hold the bottle for them. 
You know, a child can't get anything out of a pacifier, but you can pacify them for a while, and you can give them that pacifier, and they'll stop crying. But when they get really hungry, it's over. <laughs> wow. And the body of Christ has been sucking their thumb for way too long. But it takes the hunger of God inside of you to, to desire. God tells us to desire the pure milk of the Word so that you may grow thereby. Desire. That means that I have to have some kind of fervency, some kind of fire inside of me that says that I need to get this in here. And it seems as if, in the body of Christ worldwide, it seems as if there's not much of a hunger for that because we're so used to being fed. But then it says in Hebrews that we're not just supposed to desire the milk of the word, but it says that strong meat is for the mature. Oh, I love it. Strong meat is for the mature who have their senses trained to discern between both good and evil for they have been trained in righteousness so training in righteousness enables you to eat meat and the meat of the word is found in the righteousness of God because right standing is what keeps your soul from ever living in guilt shame or condemnation guilt says that I am worthy of judgment Shame says that that is still who I am. Condemnation produces hopelessness. There is no hope. But my Bible says that God did not send his son to condemn the world. He sent the world, he sent him into the world so that we might be saved through him. God so loved the world, he sent his son not to condemn us, but to save us. And the gospel is meant to set you free from you. So that your heart can see and you can shine bright and you can know the truth concerning the doctrine. Don't be unwise, but know it. We can't afford to be swayed by every wind of doctrine that comes in. I love miracles. I do. I love healing. It's my heart that everybody gets healed. But the greatest miracle is you coming into right standing with God. Because what good would it be if God healed your arm but left you lame in your brain? And I'm saying lame in your brain to the things of God. And you keep thinking like a mere man when you don't have the right to be a mere man anymore. When Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, to, to, to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. For you have in mind the things of man and not the things of God. In other words... To say you're only human is to say you're only demonic. That one goes over well. <laughs> hey, chill out. Who do you think I am? I'm only human. You don't have the right to be human. You have the right to be a child of God. It says to them who believe, he give them rights to become children of God. That's what he said. So people told me, Todd, you just, the reason why you love so much is because of how much you've been forgiven. No, I have a revelation of righteousness. And righteousness reveals that the guy you're looking at wasn't the guy that committed those things. That guy died 
That guy got crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but the life I live, I live by faith in the one that gave himself for me. Oh, I study the truth, man. I live in it. It says, let us fear, lest we drift away. In this last season, in the current season, there's been a lot of people that have been drifting. We cannot afford to be a people that drift. You can't afford to drift. You know, when you're in the ocean and you're, 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 you're on a boat or whatever, and you're out there and they want to stop and fish for a while, they want to stop and this is where they want to stay, they drop this thing called an anchor. And it holds them fast into that thing. And even if the waves get rough, that anchor still is stuck in there. It's not going anywhere. It's amazing how that little anchor can hold that big ship. It's amazing to me. Like we were out in Orange County and I was out with these guys and we were doing some, uh, we were doing some tubing with my kids. And oh my gosh, they're crazy. Like the tubes today, they're riding this thing called a hot dog. You ever see a hot dog where everybody sits on it? Oh my God, it's dangerous. Oh, I'm not kidding. It's like a 10-foot thing where you got like five people on it. And you're holding on for dear life. And everybody's got to lean the same way or we're done. All of us are done. And the waves are getting bigger. And the, the surf is getting like crazy. It was the time where out at the wedge out there in Orange County, they were having 25-foot waves. And so we're doing this. And I'm looking at the ship and it's getting covered by... I'm like, oh my God, I hope we stay there. We're on the hot dog. I'm going to die. This is crazy. But I'll live. I'll be alive. It's crazy. But that anchor keeps it set fast and it didn't move. And even though I was getting thrown off of this hot dog, trying to survive and get back up on this thing, I'm like pulling 260 pounds out of the water is a lot of weight to pull up on that thing. I'm like, Jesus, help me. My kids are going to show me up and we can't let it happen. But I get back in the boat and I keep thinking about this anchor. And I go up there and I help him. He goes, hey, all right, help me. You, you push the button and the thing comes up. But that little anchor kept us steadfast when it could have thrown us into the, into the rocks and stuff because we were in some bay out there. Man, and Jesus is supposed to be the anchor of our soul. Jesus is the anchor of our soul. And it seems that there's so many people in this season that are drifting and have not stayed anchored. They're drifting and have not stayed anchored. And I'm telling you that God has a plan for you and He wants to anchor you. But He wants to anchor you into Him and into truth and into His marvelous love. But He wants to anchor you into what it means to be right with God and to make sure that right standing with God is your highest priority to where no matter what it was, depression, anxiety, fear, all that stuff, it all comes from these voices. And Jesus said, my sheep will hear and obey my voice and the strangers they will not follow. So God's calling us to know his voice. He's calling us to anchor our souls. Sorry. Quiet. He's calling us to anchor our soul. So I have a question for you. If you felt drifting, if you've, if you've been in that place where you've just been kind of all over the place, and it seems like nothing, it seems like you're spinning around and nothing is stationary. 
I'm telling you right now that God wants to do something about that. I really heard that as soon as I came into the room today for the second service. So if that's you, I just want you to stand right where you're at. Sometimes when I go to churches, people are like, I don't want to admit that. I ain't going to do it. No, God knows where I'm at. No, I'm not asking you that. I'm asking you, if you're dealing with that, like we're supposed to be brothers and sisters. We're supposed to fight for each other. This is not supposed to be some pride thing like, oh my gosh, they're a leader and they're spinning. Well, I ain't coming back to this. Get over you and start to love people. Come on, I'm being for real. We don't have to spin. We can stop. We can drop anchor. And no matter how heavy the load, Jesus will take the wheel. Are you with me? So I want people to gather around the ones that are standing right now, please, for me. Come on. We're going to pray. You can move out of your rows. Just please help. We want freedom, but I want freedom in such a big way. I want us to go to bat for brothers and sisters. I want us to go to bat for people that we would call our brothers and sisters, people that we would call family. I don't want us to turn our back or look down at them or think that they, oh my gosh, you're dealing with this? Oh, buddy. I want people to look to where their hope really comes from. We don't need to live in hopelessness. We need to live in hope. And Christ in us is the hope of glory. And when you pray and release that hope from you, that hope is coming out of you and it's being manifested to the person that you're ministering to. So Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus, God, that you would stop the drifting right now, that you would anchor them in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, have your way. God, I thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your grace, God. I thank you for anchoring people into your love and into the foundation of righteousness where we have been forgiven. But not just forgiven, but you have forgotten what you've forgiven. Therefore, if you don't remember it, we shouldn't either. Even though others do, you shall not. Father, I thank you for direction. In the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus, Brian, the man that you're praying for, tell him open his eyes. Hey, when I saw you this morning, the Lord spoke to me and told me that you came here for a word for your family. That's what he said. He told me that your family is going to be fine and that he's increasing the business thing on your life and the pastoral gift that he's placed on your life because you have a marketplace gift that's on your life to minister to people in the business realm but to also to minister to people your family's going to be fine you're going to be okay all right i just need to make sure i told you that lord thank you for freedom in this place i thank you for a perspective change that burns with the fire of heaven i thank you for a holy indignation towards sin towards shame towards guilt towards condemnation and I thank I thank you for a massive freedom for us to live completely free Jesus we love you we give you honor we give you glory we give you praise Jesus I thank you Lord thank you for the freedom and the mind Thank you for freedom in the mind. I thank you for a mind that is clear. 
with you. I thank you for a people that can boldly approach your throne of grace and come to you any second of any day, anywhere they are. God, thank you for your goodness. God, thank you for your mercy. Lord, we love you. We give you glory. Now, I need everybody to stand up, please. I need people that are beside each other to put their hands on the person next to you. I'm going to pray for healing. I'm really pushing it because my airplane takes off. So I'm, I'm like, I've got, I'm a half hour past my time. So, all right, I'm glad you guys could do it. But my wife would be upset if I don't get home. I said, honey, I love you. It's my second trip since I've been sick. By the way, 90 days in, my heart is almost fully recovered right now. I'm, fully recovered but it has been a fight of faith to maintain that when doctors are telling you to everything opposite so we're gonna pray for healing but I really feel like there are people here that have been told by doctors everything opposite of what you need and it's the it's it's they have to tell you the worst and unfortunately a lot of people that they're telling the worst kind of take it in instead of blah blah blah, blah. When I was at my doctor's, I lost my mind, buddy. Oh my God, I'm a man of faith, bro. You got, I'm so glad to meet you. You could die. Nope, not gonna die. Jesus has a plan for me. I will give it, I will give it. To the point where nurses are like, oh my God, one of those. I'm one of those. But God wants to create all of us as one of those because we become one of his. That's what he wants. So in the name of Jesus, we speak to every sickness in this place. Every disease in this place, we speak to it and we command it to leave. By the authority of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we command sickness, disease, pain, injury, be healed in Jesus' name. Eyes be healed, ears be healed, discs be healed, knees, joints, cartilage, connective tissue, digestive systems, hearts, lungs, eyes, ears, all of it be healed in the mighty name of Jesus. Minds be healed in Jesus' name. Rotator cuffs be healed in Jesus' name. Brain tumors be healed in Jesus' name. Cancer, be healed in Jesus' name. Leukemia, be healed in Jesus' name. Arthritis, be healed in Jesus' name. Diabetes, be healed in Jesus' name. Glaucoma, be healed in Jesus' name. Cataracts, be healed in Jesus' name. Fallen bladder, get up in Jesus' name. Neuropathy, be healed in Jesus' name. Eating disorders, be healed in Jesus' name. Blood disorders, be healed in Jesus' name. Infertility in married couples, be healed in Jesus' name. ADHD, be healed in Jesus' name. Mental disorders, be healed in Jesus' name. Get out in Jesus' name. In the mighty, holy 
name of Jesus be made whole right now all the way through every organ all the way from the top to ahead of her, to the top of our head to the bottom of our feet say this in Jesus name be healed from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet right now in Jesus name I want you to check your body all over the house. Check everywhere you can right now for physical healing. I am not kidding. This is so good. I want you to check. If you can check, if you can feel that thing's gone, I want you to wave both hands over your head right now. Come on. Wave your hands. If you are healed and you know it, wave your hands like this. One more time. Put your hand on each other. Then I got to get out of here. Gotta get, I gotta get home. My gosh. I got Lou Angle coming to my church tonight, coming to our house tonight. And he's preaching tonight. And I gotta introduce him. I get off the plane and we run to, the, to, the, to our place. And we get there and Lou's gonna be getting on the stage. And I gotta introduce him. Ladies and gentlemen. If you know who Lou Angle is, he started to call the prayer and had huge, I mean 400,000 young people in Washington, D.C. praying and fasting for 40 days. <laughs> oh, we're going down tomorrow morning to Dallas to go down to where they started Roe v. Way. And we're going down there to bring heaven, man. It's gonna be amazing. So pray for me, because I gotta survive Lou tomorrow, okay. So Father, I thank you in Jesus' name for healing and wholeness all over the house. I thank you for a solid identity. I thank you that no one questions who they are. I thank you, Jesus, that you'd encounter people tonight. Father, thank you for healing and wholeness from the top of our head. Say it in the name of Jesus. From the top of our head to the bottom of our feet. Be healed because God loves you. Check your body again physically. Check whatever it was. Just check elbows, necks, backs, whatever it is, knees. Love to see people moving around doing something they couldn't do, like stomp on your heel spur. Oh, sounds dangerous, but you watch them just go gone. If you know that you've been physically healed, I want you to wave both hands over your head right now. Come on. Amen. All right. Bless you. I love you. I got to go.